time when we can come together and talk with you as a group. It's a special time, Lord, when we can open our hearts up to you and know that Jesus has already opened the pathway to you, that through his death, the forgiveness of sin has taken place. And we now, by your direction, have your ear. So we ask you, Lord, to hear us. We come to you, Lord, to give thanks to you. We're here on this special Sunday, but a Sunday much like others, when we celebrate the resurrection of your Son. We come, dear God, to say thank you. For you're the one who has devised a means for a spiritual dilemma that has touched every human being who's ever lived. For we have been born sinners. And you, dear God, through your son Jesus, have dealt with that sin. We're here to give thanks to you, Lord, for the life that you put before us and the opportunities of this life. And for the faith that you've given us and for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit in each of us who believe in you. And what a difference that makes in our daily life. That we don't have to be desperate or afraid, but instead we can walk with confidence, not in our ability, but in your companionship with us. Father, when we come together, if we stop and think a moment, we'll think back through this last week and the days before, and we'll recall the times that we have not been faithful. Times, dear God, when we've taken our eyes off of you. Times when we've tried to live this life according to our own desires and our own passions. And Lord, we've learned that never works. Times, dear God, when we have said things we should not have said. And when we have been neglect and not saying what we should have said. Forgive us, Lord, if we've torn other people down. And help us to change. That we might encourage other people with our eyes set on you. Forgive us, Father. And we thank you for that forgiveness, which uniquely and solely comes through the shed blood of Jesus, our Savior. And we thank you for the new life that we have starting right this moment. That we can step across a new threshold and a new commitment to be your children and to live the way you want us to live. Father, when we come together on Sunday in corporate worship, we always bring with us the things that are challenging to us. And Lord, I know if we were to go person to person throughout this congregation, all of us, including myself, would call out and tell you something we're struggling with. With physical health, with our own financial situations, with our jobs, our vocations, with relationships, this side of heaven, Lord, none of that's perfect. And we, while we are born-again children through Jesus Christ, are still challenged. And sometimes even more, Lord, because we know how we ought to trust. But we're here today because you've called us. 
And I pray, dear God, that we would take whatever those concerns and whatever those challenges are and that we would individually place them at the foot of this cross and that we would turn them over to you and that we would feel the burden lifted from us knowing we don't have to carry that burden all by ourselves, and knowing that you're going to help us. Father, there are people in uniforms here and all over the world who are protecting and serving us. We pray your special blessing on them this day of worship, and that wherever they may be and whatever they're involved in at this very moment, that they would feel the presence of your Holy Spirit and that they would feel confident and feel peace because of you. Father, we thank you. You've allowed us to live in a very beautiful country. And dear God, we're making a mess out of it. I pray for our land. I pray for spiritual revival. I pray that there might be the moving of your Holy Spirit in this community and across this country where people would turn to you and stop looking to themselves. Where people, dear God, would call out on Jesus and ask for his help and for his forgiveness. And I pray, dear God, that we might become a people in this country who are known for straight thinking and that we might do the things that you want us to do. I pray, Lord, that you'd reach from the highest office in this land to our local leadership. And I pray that you would touch them with the knowledge of Jesus, that he might be their Savior and then the Lord of their life. Help our country, I pray, Lord, and use us to be part of that solution. And then I pray for our church. What an opportunity you give us to be known for a church that really believes the Bible and at the same time is a loving group of people. Help us, Lord, to minister in this neighborhood and help us to be what you want us to be, knowing that that's all that's required or all you desire of us and what a blessing that will be. Father, thank you again for letting us be together today. You had a reason for bringing each and every one of us to this place. And I pray your blessing on the balance of our service. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and open up to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We're going to turn to the 20th chapter. And if you're visiting with us, let me share with you a bit of a uniqueness. We here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church are a people of the Word. We believe in the power of the written Word of God. We believe this is what renews people's minds. So you're going to find that I'm going to ask you to keep your place in the Bible and follow along scripturally as I preach through the passage. Because I want the Word to speak to you not just by what I say, but what God is saying directly from Scripture. So please, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles spread around the room. There are also folks next to you. Share with each other. We're going to look at John, the 20th chapter, and we're going to begin our study with the 11th verse. The Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, 
beginning with the 11th verse, and we're going to study through the 18th. Once you've found your place, put your finger in your Bible and look up so I'll know we're ready to move on. Let's not do this by ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word knowing that it's alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, and that if we allow your Holy Spirit to have the freedom to apply it to us, that it will pierce all the way to our very heart, and that you'll use it to renew us, to give us some new thoughts and to renew some other thoughts, and that we'll walk away from this time so much more blessed because of what you have done for us. So, Father, I ask you to open your word to us and help us to hear it and help us to remember it. And when we get home this afternoon and tomorrow and throughout the week, for us, with your help, to find application so we might benefit from this time. Bless us, we pray, with your inspired word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I read the passage to you, Please keep your finger in your Bible. A question. Have you had some precious moments in life? Some really significant moments in your life that you remember and you hold dear to your heart? How about for those of us who at one time in our life stood before a preacher and said, I do, and turned and walked out husband and wife? Some of you remember that? Those are pretty exciting times, at least for the people we spent money with buying dresses and flowers. And But that was a significant time, wasn't it? How about when you got your first job? You know, somebody was saying, you have some worth, and I'm even going to pay you to be with me. And that made us feel pretty special. How about when your first baby came in the world? I clearly remember our children being born and how scared I was. Some of you have those kind of recollections. I was overwhelmed. All of a sudden, I wasn't just a husband. I was also a daddy with some new responsibilities. But what a significant time. And then to watch our children grow, to watch them achieve, to watch them receive rewards in life. And we all shared in that. Those are wonderful experiences. But you know what? They're all limited to this lifetime. You ever thought about that? There's an end to all of that. (coughs) So it seems to me, as I read this passage, what God is doing is saying, there's another significant moment in your life. And it's a significant moment that touches now and the rest of your life and for eternity. And it's the only experience that does that. And it's when you, by the grace of God, come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you can say for yourself, I've seen Jesus. I know Jesus. And when that happens to you, you're not only a changed person now, but you're changed forever. So how come we get together today? 
Why are we going to look at a passage that talks about the resurrection of Christ? There's a reason. And the reason, very simply, is a long time ago, the first man and the first woman were in the presence of God. And he said, I'm going to give you paradise. I'm going to meet all your needs, and you're going to be happy and enjoy life. And all I ask is, you let me be the Lord of your life. You let me make the big decisions for you. And you surrender yourself, and you accept these decisions. And Adam and Eve talked about it and fell under the temptation of Satan. And they said to God, no, we'd like all the blessings But we want to make our own decisions. We don't want you to make them for us. God said, you know, if you choose that, then let me tell you the result. The result is you shall die. Well, now that's pretty startling to Adam and Eve because they were going to live forever. God made these bodies of ours to live forever. He didn't equip you and I to deal with death. Not our death, not the death of a child, not the death of any loved one. Because originally we were constituted to live, not die. Adam and Eve went ahead and said, hey, Lord, take a hike. In essence, that's what they said to him. We don't need you to tell us how to live our life. And every time you hear yourself get rebellious and arrogant and say, I don't need somebody in authority over me, no, what you're doing is falling right back into the same trap Adam and Eve fell into. That's that original sin whelming up inside of us. And it's all too present among believers and non-believers. When God said, you shall die, you know what he was saying? You're going to mess up what I gave you. And you're going to die physically. Up until that point in human history, no one had ever died. And immediately when God put that curse on them, Adam and Eve started the physical death process, which you and I now face, and so does everyone else who's ever born into this world. And he also meant, you shall die spiritually. The bond is going to be cut. And you are going to be put out of my presence And there's nothing you can do to ever get back into my presence. You know why that is? He's a righteous God. And he cannot and will not allow unrighteous people in his presence. It's that simple. So he puts Adam and Eve, who become unrighteous, just like all of us, out of his presence. And there's nothing that you or I can do by being good guys and gals or by doing for other people or by living by some of the commands of God. None of that will get us back into his presence. You can't earn your salvation. But because he's a loving and gracious God, before the foundation of the world, knowing that all this was going to happen, he decided that he was going to take on the form of one of us and become Jesus and that he was going to live on this earth and that he, God, was going to die in our place on a cross. And when he died, our sins were washed away. Which one of you 
would give your son or your daughter or somebody else? Somebody sitting next to you? I don't think so. Somebody even in your own family? I don't think so. And God gave his only begotten son because he loved you and me that much. Now, that sounds like the end of the story, doesn't it? What God has done for us. Have you noticed the cross is an empty cross? It's not the end of the story. Something else still had to happen to make all of this work the way God planned on it working. And what needed to happen was Jesus needed to be raised from the dead. Because you and I, as adopted children into this family, are going to have the same inheritance as Jesus. And Jesus wasn't just buried for sin. He was raised from the dead to new life for eternity. And that's the promise you and I have. And that's why Easter Sunday is so very important. It's the completion of the plan of God as he redeems us. With all that in mind, I want you to look at the 11th and 12th verses for a moment. And I'd like to just work my way through the passage with you. I want you to listen very carefully. Because God's speaking to us. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As I read through that passage, I'm reminded that what John has done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he's looked at a whole group of women who'd gotten up early that Sunday morning after Jesus had been buried on Friday before sundown, and they'd now gotten up and they'd gone to the tomb and they were intending to take his body and to wrap it for permanent burial. And what John does is he looks at that whole group of women and he selects one, Mary Magdalene, a virtuous woman, a follower of Jesus. And he picked her and now he's letting us see her life experience as she met the risen Christ. 
He says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Can you just picture? She's come running up with these other women, and suddenly she stops, and the great stone that was in front of the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. And her worst nightmares popped up in her head, and she immediately thought to herself, his body's been taken, he's not here anymore. She stands and she weeps, crying for what she's lost or what she perceives to have lost. And then she looks down inside the tomb, and she sees the place where the body of Jesus had been laid, and she sees an angel dressed in white sitting at the head and sitting at the foot of the place where Jesus had been. Do you believe in angels? If you don't, let me expand your thinking a little. I believe in angels. I'm a pretty conservative guy. I absolutely believe there are angels. I believe there are angels who are sent by God to be messengers in our life, and they're very much at work in our life, and the tragedy is so often we're not aware of it. Here Mary is. She's come with these other women. She's standing outside the tomb, and she's starting to weep, and it never dawns on her somebody's rolled that stone away, and Scripture tells us it was the angels. How many times angels have moved obstacles out of our way in this life? And we walk away saying, boy, that was good luck. Believe in good grace. Don't believe in good luck. Believe that God's mightily at work in your life. On another occasion, we'll address angels. But know that they are with us as they were with her. If you look at the 13th verse, it says, And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've taken him, and I don't know how to find him. Interesting question. Why are you weeping? If you read through Scripture with a discerning eye, you'll learn a really interesting thing. When someone presents the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news, what you find invariably isn't that person coming to a non-believer and saying, well, let me tell you what you ought to believe. And if you don't believe it, you're going to... That almost never works, particularly in the culture we live in. But if you take the biblical application where the angels say to her, why are you crying? And what they're doing is saying, tell us what's going on inside of you. And they listen to what she has to say. And she will inevitably reveal her own theology. She'll reveal what she's thinking and why she's thinking it. And when that happens, we can then have a conversation about the things of God. There's nothing new about that technique of sharing Jesus with somebody else because it's all through Scripture. And what the angels were doing, they were doing precisely what Jesus will also do, as you'll see in a minute. I had a thought while I was working on this passage. Because we don't recognize the presence of angels And because we don't think in terms of God being with us every moment, which he has promised to be, we go through life experiences and we do it on our own. And like Mary and like so many others, we cry a lot. 
and we feel anguish and we panic and we feel like things are out of control. And what we've done is we've taken our eyes off of God. And in essence, we have said quite unintentionally, I'm going to do this on my own. And we don't do that very well. Have you realized that? I have a solution. If you're going to take God into life's experiences, and if you're going to allow yourself to see his hand at work and to know that he's present, you better start reading your Bible on a regular basis. You know why? Where your brain is is where you are. And the more you fill your head with the things of God, the more sensitive you and I will be to his daily presence with us. But if you don't read your Bible and you put it off and say, I'll do it the next day, you're priming yourself to walk through that day by yourself because you've made that choice. You need to pray. God has opened the windows of heaven and said, come, talk to me. He's provided a mediator named Jesus for us so that we might communicate with him. His Holy Spirit's already promised to reach down inside of us and bring groanings out of us and present them to God if we'll just come to God. So we're invited to do that. When you pray, God answers prayers. And in your prayer time, you will begin to formulate some of the answers to things that you're going to encounter that day. But if you don't pray and if you don't read your Bible... What happens is you're on your own by your choice. Mary was on her own by her choice, and she stood weeping. I love what happens next. Look on back at the passage for a moment and look at verses 14, 15, and 16. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know it was Jesus. How come? He hadn't changed physically. Why didn't she recognize him? I think in my mind, Mary's standing just inside the tomb, and the two angels are there, and she's probably pretty captivated by the radiance and by the fact that Jesus' body isn't there. And suddenly Jesus appears, probably outside of the tomb, but just outside the entrance, and she's aware of his presence. Now, this is extra-biblical. It's okay. At least I gave a disclaimer before I said it. How come she turned around and looked at him? Don't you imagine those two angels who serve the risen Savior? The minute he appeared, looked right over her shoulder at them and looked at Jesus. How could they have done anything else? And the minute she realized that they weren't making eye contact anymore, you've had that happen. You're talking with somebody and all of a sudden they start looking around you. What do you do? You want to turn around and see who's behind you that they're looking at. I can just see Mary turning and looking over her shoulder, and there stands Jesus. And she doesn't know it's Jesus. You know why she didn't know it was Jesus? She was looking for a corpse. She wasn't looking for a resurrected Christ. She wasn't looking for someone who's vibrant and alive and engaging and and loves her and has just given his life for her. 
Instead, because she had pushed God out of that human experience, she's still operating that way. And she turns around and she looks at Jesus and she thinks he's a gardener. And she says, hey, what you do with his body? I'd like to go get it. And I'd like to take it and bury it. She's still thinking in a human way. God has no place in that thinking of hers. You ever been there? You ever come away from an experience and say, golly, I never even thought about God. And yet he says, I am with you until the close of the age. He's here with us today. He's with us every moment of our life. And if we're not sensitive to his presence, shame on us. It's not because he's not here and not present. It's because we have taken our eyes off of him. What does Jesus say to her? He says, hey, Mary, how come you're crying? Second time she's been asked that. Somebody's trying to get her attention. How come you're weeping? Who is it you're looking for? She was looking for the wrong person. She was looking for someone who was dead, and he's alive. Who are we looking for? Who is it that we want to have a relationship with? A sterile God who used to live and is dead, and we can learn about him? Or are we looking for a relationship with a God who's very much alive, very much engaging our lives, and wants us to walk with him? That's the God Mary needed to look for, and that's the God you and I on a daily basis ought to be looking for. If you look at verses 17 and 18, some instructions are given. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. Now, you know, biblical commentators have done all kinds of things with that. Jesus hadn't started to change in any way. She should have recognized him, and she does, but it's not until he calls to her a second time. You almost sense she's turned back into the cave, back into the darkness. And he says, Mary, and she turns around, and she looks at him a second time, and she says, Rabboni. And what she's saying is, oh, my goodness, I recognize who he is. This is the risen Christ, the one I've been following. And she starts to get it. And she can see the risen Christ. Have you? Have you seen the risen Christ? That's a yes or no. If you haven't, let me give you an invitation. God loves us. If he's tugging at you, If he's saying, let's get out of that dark cave you've been living in and come walk with me in the light, and you know he's tugging at your heart, all you have to do is say, Lord, be my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life. And he will come. If you can earnestly and sincerely say that under the power of God, it's going to be a done deal. So I encourage you, if you've never accepted Christ and you're tired of living in that dark cave, invite him while you're sitting here today to be your Lord and Savior. And then if you'd like to say something to me about what you've done before you leave today.
if you're already a believer and you keep coming and going in that cave, some of us do that. Get out of the cave. Make a declaration. It's like, whatever it is that's keeping me in that darkness, whatever I've become addicted to or whatever I have yielded to that I shouldn't have yielded to, just leave it in the cave and come on out into the light. And God will help you do that every time. And he'll be there for you and life will be very different because you'll live in the power of God for the rest of your life. So I invite you to do that. She did what I think we would do. She's looking at him now and she knows who he is and she's understood that what she'd been taught has now become a reality. Unfortunately, so many people who go to church learn all kinds of knowledge about him but don't get to know him. All of a sudden now, Mary's knowledge of him that she'd learned over three years has taken an impact on her, and she's getting a one-on-one relationship with him. And that's what it's all about. So she grabs him. You know what that's all about? She's saying, okay, I understand. Now let me hold on to you because I want you to fulfill all of my desires and take care of my life the way I want you to. That's what you and I do. We say, hey, God, I want this relationship, but I want you to let me be Lord. We're back to the Garden of Eden and original sin. And our sinful nature whelms up inside of us, and we want to be in control. So we tell God what we want, and we expect him to follow through. And Jesus says, let go of me. And I think what he's saying is, allow me to be Lord. Accepting Christ is very easy as compared with living a godly life. Accepting Christ, God is the author of that. He's the mover in that. He accomplishes that. And then when we come to sanctification, we're coming to the point of saying, how am I going to walk in the Spirit? How am I going to let Jesus be the Lord of my life, not just my Savior? And Jesus is saying, hey, Mary... Let go of me. Let things go the way God wants them to go, not just how you want. Have you noticed? I guess this is my advancing age. You like the way I said that? I've noticed more and more in life the things I panicked about, I don't need to panic about. That when I trust God, every now and then I see one of the angels. Every now and then I see the hand of God move a rock or an obstacle. Every now and then I can hear his voice clearly. And it's not secondhand. And what he wants from me and you is to let him be the Lord of our life. Because he wants to bless us. And what I've learned is when I wrestle that leadership away, Woe be unto me. I have made some colossal errors. I know none of you have, but I have. And it's because I've tried to be the Lord of my own life. So be patient and wait on God. And behold the glory of God at work in your life. Jesus says, let go of me. And then he says, and here's what I want you to do.
He said, Mary, you've seen me now, and now you believe that I am raised from the dead. And now what I want you to do is go back into Jerusalem and tell the other disciples there and the other followers what you have seen. Eyewitness account. They're the ones we listen to, aren't they? Can I ask you a question again? Have you seen Jesus? Are you an eyewitness? Who ought to be telling other people about Jesus? Do I need to preach on that point? Or do you all get that? You understand? We're the eyewitnesses. We've had as real an experience as Mary Magdalene had. Praise God. We're his kids. And you and I, the church, ought to be telling other people. Agreed? I'll look forward next Sunday to five times as many folks in church. (laughs) Let's pray together. Thank you, dear God, for allowing us to be in your word. Thank you that the Mary Magdalene's change. Instead of just knowing about you, they get to know you like we have known about you and have come to know you. What a glorious God. You raised your son Jesus from the dead. And he is at your right hand at this very moment as his angels and Holy Spirit dwell with us and would be the Lord of our life. Until one day, dear God, you raise us to be in your presence for eternity. Thank you for a completed plan. Thank you for a significant event in our life unlike any other event that a person could ever experience. Coming to know Jesus. Thank you, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good place to be on Sunday morning. Amen? God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to love Him, for He has first loved us. So when you leave this place today, go knowing you're going with God with you and that you're a very special person, that He's allowed His Son to die for you, that you might live. God bless you and God keep you and may His face shine upon you and may you feel and know he's with you today and tomorrow and all the days of your life in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit